Irrepetra. I'd never picked olives before, and technically you don't actually pick them. You beat the branches of the olive tree with a thin wooden switch, and the olives drop to the ground onto a fine mesh carpet that's wrapped around the trunk. After the tree has given up her fruit, we gather the mesh carpet into a ball, and without bruising the olives, lift the unwieldy weight to a stack of burlap sacks. Then we awkwardly, and with difficulty, fill the sacks until the mesh carpet is empty. Now, what I've just described is much easier to relay in words than in the actual doing of it. As a musher once said to me, talking about dog sledding and doing dog sledding are two very different activities. After the mesh carpet is empty, we move on to the next olive tree, wrap the moist mesh carpet around the trunk, and go back to the violence of beating the branches to give up her fruit, and this activity goes on from dawn until sunset. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before what I've just described happened, I'd been washing down fishing boats after they'd emptied their catch for the day from the Mediterranean, and I got paid in fish, or maybe an octopus, that I'd then take to Papa's tavern to be cooked for my supper. Papa's had become a home away from home for me, and where I'd first heard somebody was looking for olive pickers. But before I get to that, I need to tell you this about how I got to a repertoire on the south coast of the island of Crete in the first place. I'd been in Spain, you see, and got caught up in the student riots that were happening following the death of Franco and the rise of King Juan Carlos. But that's another story. I'd left there, uh, moved further up into Europe in order to travel down, down the boot of Italy to the town of Brindisi. I crossed the Ionian Sea aboard a rusted ferry to the town of Patres, Greece, where I boarded a train to Athens. Now, on the journey, the clickety-clack, as it were, a soldier came into the compartment I was in and told us that when we got to Athens, we were immediately to go to where it was we were going. There's a curfew, he barked, and if you are found in the streets after 9 p.m., you will be brought in for questioning and possible imprisonment. Huh. I knew there was trouble in Greece with the overthrow of Papadopoulos, who was somehow mixed up with the CIA, but I did not know the extent to which it was happening. Buses had been tipped over and set on fire. Water cannons and rubber bullets were being used on rioters. I'd gone from the proverbial frying pan into the fire. When we finally arrived in Athens at 8.45 p.m., and with 15 minutes before the curfew dropped, people burst from the train like greyhounds and raced across the great lawn in front of the station toward a row of idling cabs. And I was one of those people. It was chaos, arms and legs, jeans and backpacks and shouting and, and darkness. And there were hundreds of us fighting for a cab, it seemed. My immediate problem was I'd never been to Athens, and I really had no other destination other than Athens. And, oh yeah, I was also on my own. I was 18 years old, and I was one of the last people to get into a cab. There were already seven people inside with their gear hanging out the trunk. As I stretched my body across the lap uh, of those in the back seat, the cabbie tore off like he was in a war movie. People were shouting out locations as to where they were going. As the cab slowly emptied to just me, he looked over and knew that I was a lost lamb. He made a unilateral decision and pulled up in front of a small hotel and told me to get out. He then took off, left me stranded on a completely empty street at 9.10 p.m., ten minutes after the curfew. I remember a piece of white paper that blew in the wind toward me and then stuck to my leg. Time was in another time, and that time was something I wasn't too clear about or familiar with. 
Not knowing what else to do, I walked up the steps of the hotel and stepped inside. Finding no one at the front desk, I wandered and wandered down the hallway and came to a small empty bar with a tall gray-haired bartender standing behind it. Come in, come in, he shouted happily. It turned out he had lived in Toronto on Danforth Avenue for about ten years, but had returned home because of a dying parent. He made his own ouzo, and he brought the bottle up onto the bar and poured me a glass, putting in a little bit of water that turned it cloudy. I'd never had ouzo before, and it tasted something like licorice. After my third or fourth glass, he suggested I go out into the streets and get us some roasted chestnuts. Roasted chestnuts? What are you talking about? There's a curfew. I was feeling a little lightheaded from the ouzo. Well, that's the beauty of it, he said as he leaned in and whispered, No one will see you. Because no one else is out there. It made some sort of sense in a drunken way, but I was still confused. He gave me a handful of drags and explained there was an old woman who sold chestnuts on a street corner off Constantine Square. You just go out the door, turn right. The square is at the end of the block, but stick close to the walls. Don't step into the light. Then at the third exit in the square from the right you take to get into the square, you go down two, three blocks, then turn left, I think it is, and you'll find her. Oh, yes, my new friend. You'll find her down that street, roasting chestnuts at her burning barrel. Now go! I jumped back as he shouted, now go, but had the wherewithal to ask, could you repeat the question, uh, the instructions again, please? A little bit unsure as to the rights and lefts and streets and such. No! You'll feel your way. You're smart. You're Canadian, for the love of God. No go! And he ushered me out onto the empty street where I turned right with his whispered warning to keep out of the light, rolling around in my head like a marble on an uneven floor. I painted myself against the wall, trying to avoid the lights as I headed down to Constantine Square. It is a cavernous open area in the middle of Athens. The feeling in the street screamed, Don't be here! But I pushed on the eerie quiet. The wind, always the wind nobody else around was freaking me out, and I was drunk. I have no idea how I managed to find the old woman in her burning barrel with the roasting chestnuts, but I did. She wore a babushka and had no teeth. She had hands bigger than my dad's. The tool she was using to turn the chestnuts was a wicked-looking knife at one end and a slotted spoon at the other. She stared at me. At least I thought she was staring at me. Her, high, her eyes were so buried inside the squint she wore on her face, I, I couldn't see her eyes at all, really. I nervously held out the drachmas the bartender had given me, having no idea how much money it was, and she snatched the dough and put it deep into a pocket of one of the heavy skirts she was wearing. It looked like she had at least two of them on. I'd fallen into a fairy tale, I thought, one where I might get eaten by the end. The woman scooped up roasted chestnuts and put them into two small paper bags and handed them to me. I took them, mumbled a thank you, and backed away. Not sure if this was going to be my last moment on earth. As I turned and slowly walked down the street, I fully expected the knife to come thiffing through the air and lodge itself into my back. But that didn't happen. When I reached the empty square, I took a moment to register that I was lost and on my own. I'd left my passport at the hotel and only had two bags of roasted chestnuts in my possession. It felt like the world had ended and that I was the last person in it. I stared into the empty square void of people at the overturned and burnt-out buses, and not for the last time 
wondered what I'd gotten myself into. How I managed to find the hotel and miss being scooped up by the army, I don't know. But that night I ate chestnuts for the first time in my life and with the bartender drank two more bottles of his extra prima gult ouzo. The next day I booked passage on a boat that took me on an overnight crossing to Crete and a car and cart ride later arrived in a repertoire at Papa. But my time is up. So we'll meet again, perhaps. And if we do, I can tell you about being pinned to the sand by waves that had crushed me to the ocean floor. <laughs>